Chapter 14, June 1978, age 23. A new year came and with it a new lease on life for Robert. His reputation as Nicky's crazy right-hand man became more widespread. Nicky told him that was a good thing. It kept people on their toes when he was around. Robert would never admit it to anyone, but his toughness was a byproduct of fear. As a kid, he was afraid when he was forced to travel through the turf of other gangs just so he and his brother could get to school. He was scared when the mob of angry guys chased him down, looking to cut up his face. He was afraid when he had to fight the big guy hopped up on drugs after he slashed open Tommy's throat. For sure, fear was a major component in the development of Robert's persona. It was either beat or be beaten, kick or be kicked, shoot or be shot. But none of those fears compared to the fear he experienced when the Mafia wanted its money and was hunting him down to get it. Illegal gambling was big business, and within a relatively short amount of time, Nicky and Lenny were bringing in major cash for their captains, running numbers, schemes, and crap games. To assure the security of the money collected at each of the three crap games locations, accountability was assigned to one of the trusted members of the crew. Robert was working the crap game at the Mott Street location, where Antonio was in charge of the bank. Antonio approached him. You seen the price of gasoline? Robert took a drag from his cigarette. Yeah, I just filled up Nicky's car, 86 cents a gallon. Were there lines? Because where I went, they had a line wrapped around the block. I pretty much got in and out. Antonio swore. I guess we're the ones getting shaken down. Robert tried to act interested, but such things didn't concern him. Can I talk to you for a second? Antonio asked Robert. I thought we were, Robert smirked. Antonio gave him a nasty look. All right, all right. They walked over to the window in the south wall. I've got a thing at two o'clock today, so I'm going to have to leave early, Antonio said. Okay. So I was wondering if you could cover for me. Sure. What do you need me to do? Antonio handed him a set of keys. Lock up the place around four and be sure to take the bank with you. The bank? Yeah, Marty will count it for you. Make sure you watch him. Count it yourself. Robert pocketed the keys. Don't worry, I've got you covered. The game wound down that afternoon. After shooting everyone out and locking the doors, Marty sat down at the small desk situated next to the craps table. He unlocked a metal box sitting on the desk, took the money out of it, and sorted it into the various denominations. As he counted each stack, he jotted down a number on a yellow pad of paper. In contrast to Robert, Marty was more of the accountant type than tough guy. He was rail thin, wore glasses, and spoke softly no matter who he was talking to or what he was talking about. Since Marty would have been an easy target for anyone familiar with the routine, Antonio counted on Robert to assure the money's safekeeping. When Marty finished adding up all the numbers, he pushed his glasses back up the bridge of his nose. $12,800. Robert looked over his shoulder at the numbers and added them in his head. Looks good to me. Marty secured the individual stacks with rubber bands, put them in a brown paper bag, and handed it to Robert. He then locked the metal box, and they walked out the front door. Take it easy, Marty, Robert said as he locked the door. Marty gave Robert a slight tip of the head and a thin smile, avoiding eye contact. Robert searched up and down the street while getting into the brown Cadillac he'd recently purchased. He headed straight home, foregoing his usual night on the town. The next morning, he got up early with the idea of going to the horse races at Belmont, a habit he developed a while back. 
He took the money to the track with him so he could drive straight to the factory on Mott Street after the races. As he parked the car at Belmont, he hid the bank under the car seat. It was too warm to wear a jacket that could conceal his gun, so he stowed it with the bank. He figured that would be the best place to have it just in case someone tried to rob him. What he didn't realize is that he was the one from whom the bank needed to be protected. The line at the window was short. Robert dug into his pocket and found two crisp $100 bills. Sensing the wind of good fortune was blowing, he placed the bills through the window's opening. 200 on Jersey Cell to win, he said, counting on a tip he received at the Mott Street crap game that the race was fixed and Jersey Cell was sure to come in first despite the 24 to 1 odds. He smiled at the cashier, who didn't return the favor, but did hand him the ticket. Have a great day, he said as he walked away. He found a seat right before the race started and looked over the program to see which horse he would bet on in the next race with the winnings from Jersey Sal. He saw another horse that looked promising for a healthy payoff and marked it right as the horses for the first race entered the starting gate. When it was over and Jersey Sal crossed the finish line in the back of the pack, Robert stared at his ticket as if some error had been made. With no money in his wallet, he left the grandstand headed for the parking lot dropping his ticket into the trash can along the way. He opened the car door and sat in the driver's seat, wondering what he was going to do for the next couple of hours before he had to be at work. Mindlessly, he removed the bank from under the seat and took $100 from it. After securing the rest of the bank under the seat and locking the door, he went back to the same cashier and placed a new bet. Jersey Sal didn't work out that well for you, huh? Robert didn't have a smile for her this time. Have a great day, she said as she handed him his ticket. On the seventh race, after losing most of the bank on the previous races, Robert placed $2,000 to win on Painted Wagon, ridden by the most famous jockey of all time, Willie Shoemaker. Up until that point, Robert had bet on long shots, but the odds on Painted Wagon was 7-1. to He was sure to win back the money he had lost on the previous races. Again, things didn't turn out as planned a horse ridden by a young jockey named Steve Cowden, a 28-to-1 long shot, won the race. Instead of being up nine grand, Robert had lost over $10,000 of money that didn't belong to him. Worse yet, it belonged to the mafia. He knew he was a dead man. No matter how likable he was, no one in the mob was going to be okay with him gambling away the money without any repercussions. His first thought was to rob an actual bank to replace the money he had lost. He still had a little time before he was due to arrive at the Mott Street game, but he decided it wasn't worth taking the risk of going to jail or being gunned down by a bank security officer. So he did the second thing that came to his mind. He took what money was left and did everything possible to stay away from anyone associated with Nicky's crew. It was either that or he really would end up dead. For the rest of the afternoon, he hung out at one of the clubs with some old friends living as large as a man with a death sentence. After throwing a few beers down, he called his mom around five o'clock. She told him Antonio had called. When their conversation ended, he took a deep breath and returned Antonio's call. Robert, where are you? He said. You're supposed to be here hours ago with the bank. He considered making up some story about being robbed, but he knew no one would believe it. Feeling brazen enough to admit the truth, he said, I've got some bad news. What did you do now? I lost some of the bank. What happened? He hesitated at first, but then said, I went to the races. 
Antonio was quiet for a second. Okay, okay. Don't worry about it. We can make it up. Robert was surprised by Antonio's answer and felt a little relief. Then he considered that maybe this is the way guys who borrow the mafia's money without permission are set up before they're fitted with cement boots. Antonio asked, so how much did you lose? The bartender slid a shot of whiskey over to Robert, who downed it in one gulp. Ten grand. What? Are you freaking crazy? Antonio started yelling and cussing over the phone, saying Robert was going to get both of them killed. After he yelled for a little while, he hung up. During the following week, Robert was cautious enough to make sure he didn't go to the places Nicky and the crew knew he would be, hanging out mostly in Long Island with some friends who knew nothing about what was happening with him. Several days later, buddies from his old neighborhood told Robert that they got roughed up by Nicky and Lenny because they wouldn't tell them where Robert was. Robert told them that if anybody other than Nicky or Lenny hassled them again, he would kill him. It was very early, about four o'clock in the morning, a week after Robert had lost the money. He had been hanging out at the clubs all night and was tired. He hadn't been home, nor had a decent night of sleep since the whole ordeal happened. So he decided to go to his mom and dad's house on Richmond Street in the old neighborhood, which is where he was living at the time. By then, most everyone recognized his Cadillac, but he figured that since it was so early in the morning that it would be safe to go there. Still, he had two guns beside him just in case a shootout occurred. He eased up to the traffic light at Fulton Street, just a couple of blocks from his mother's house. At the same time, he saw an old 98 pull up to the light on the opposite side. He perked up, adrenaline now coursing through his body as he realized the car belonged to Lenny DeMaria, Nicky's partner. He looked down at the pistols next to him. When he looked up, he saw someone get out of the car. It was Nicky. He started running towards Robert with his hand in his pocket. Robert had never been in such a dilemma. Even though he had the two guns with him and had no problem shooting anyone who shot at him, he never thought he might have to use one of them on Nicky. He was Robert's mentor, his father figure, the one who gave him a chance to be somebody. There was no possible way he could shoot Nicky. He considered staying there and hearing Nicky out. But as he got closer and Nicky's hand was still in his pocket, Robert felt the risk was too great. He knew no one is above the law of the mafia. His light was still red, but he took off anyway, running stop signs and traffic lights. He glanced back in his mirror and saw they were right behind him, headlights off. As they approached Logan Street, Robert was desperate to get them off his tail. He turned onto Logan Street, which is a one-way street. Even though they were traveling in the wrong direction, Lenny and Nicky continued to follow him. He made a quick right onto Ridgewood Avenue. As he came up to the intersection at Norwood, he didn't notice another car coming from his left. It broadsided him, knocking the car to the other side of the street. He was stunned for a second, but then he continued driving down Norwood for another hundred feet or so. By that time, the car was just limping along, so he parked it just before Force Tube Avenue and took off on foot, leaving the two pistols behind. He raced for a couple of blocks before running out of breath and stopping, resigning to his fate. Lenny pulled the car in front of Robert, and Nicky was the first to get out. He started punching him in the face, and then Lenny joined in doing the same. Even though they were giving Robert a good beating, he didn't go down, nor did he fight back. What, are you coked up or something? Nicky asked, revealing to Robert that he knew about the secret he had been keeping from him. After their fists grew tired, Nicky pushed Robert against the car. 
You freaking idiot, he said as he rubbed his sore knuckles. What do you think you're doing? Robert didn't answer. After cursing him a few times, Nicky motioned toward the car. Get in. Robert had sworn to himself that if the mob ever decided to get rid of him, he wanted his mother to know that he was dead. He couldn't stand the thought of her wondering, hoping that he might be alive when in fact he was fish bait at the bottom of the bay. Therefore, getting in the car was not an option. Just kill me now, he said. He wiped blood from his face with the sleeve of his shirt. What are you talking about? I'm not going to kill you, you moron. You need to go get your car. Robert was still skeptical. I can't. I left my guns in it. By then, he had been arrested several times for illegal possession of a weapon. If he went back to the car, the police responding to the accident would surely arrest him again. Nicky rubbed his brow and said something indiscernible. Listen, I've been trying to find you so that I could tell you that I replaced the bank with my own money. Robert squinted, feeling the pain from his swollen left eye. Really? Yeah, really. Nicky looked at Lenny. We said you got arrested, was locked up. A sense of relief washed over Robert. At that moment, he knew that Nicky had saved him from certain death. Nicky looked around. We need to get out of here. Get in the car. I'll catch a cab. Nicky scoffed. Fine, have it your way. He went around to the passenger side of the car as Lenny started up the engine. Go home, get some rest, call me tomorrow. After Nicky and Lenny left, Robert hailed a taxi and went to his sister Anna's house. Since he didn't want his mom to see him bloody and beaten, he stayed there overnight. The next day, Robert called Nicky, who said it was okay for Robert to come back to work. He also told him that he'd have to pay off his debt. Robert thought twelve grand was a lot of money to pay back, but the alternative was much worse. At first, he paid Nicky $100 a week. At that rate, it would have taken years for him to pay Nicky off. It wasn't long, though, before a big payoff fell into his hands. By then, Robert had a crew of his own, a few guys younger than him, who were looking to make a name for themselves. They burglarized a home in Long Island that had some valuable coins. One of them alone was worth $90,000. The value of the coins would bring them lots of money, but more important to Robert was the chance to redeem himself in Nicky's eyes. When Robert brought the coins to Nicky, he was very pleased and ended up squashing his entire debt to him. Regarding the car wreck and the two guns, Robert reported his car stolen. The insurance company sent him a check for the loss.